If you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn this morning with me uh, to the book of Ruth. To the book of Ruth. If you got a church email, if you're on our email list, you knew that uh, this was coming. Last week we took a break from uh, Galatians uh, to kind of prime our hearts for the Thanksgiving week, and then I told you we were going to turn to the season of Advent. And so as we begin our Advent season today, taking a break from Galatians, which we'll return to in the new year, I've decided uh, to work our way through this little short Old Testament book. Now, it may seem like an unlikely choice uh, for Advent, for the anticipation of uh, the coming of the Messiah, but it is ripe with expectation of the one promised. For those of you who have been around for a while here at Ascension, you, you might remember, since you remember all of the sermon passages I preach on with absolute clarity because they're so memorable, you might have remembered we spent some time in this book uh, eight years ago. We spent some time in the book of Ruth. I doubt you all remember that, at least not in detail. Some of you might, but this is one of those movies, so to speak, that you want to rewatch, that you want to return to over and over again. And I thought about, uh, as I thought about working uh, through this book eight years ago when my daughters were much younger, boy, I want them to hear this now as they are uh, teenagers. And so uh, we return this morning to the book of Ruth, and I trust uh, that God's word will be fresh and you will be blessed by it. The book is named Ruth, of course, because that is the main character of the story that we're about to begin. Uh, It is not named Ruth because uh, Ruth is the one who wrote it. Ruth did not write it. We don't know, actually, who wrote the book of Ruth. What we do know is that God has written it and that God has given us a beautiful story to teach us beautiful truths and to point us to the promised one that is to come. As we'll see, the circumstances of this family that we're about to enter into the choices they make, they have a lot to teach us. This, this is a story about personal redemption in a lot of ways. In 85 verses, which is what this book entails, some form of the word redeem occurs 23 times. It's a book of redemption. But we must never miss that even as we follow the story of this family, there is something so much bigger going on here. Because behind every scene, behind all of this drama, behind this time and place, God is continuing a story of cosmic redemption. A story that makes its way today, to here, to you, right now. So let's jump in, Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. I invite you, as is our tradition, to stand for the reading of God's Word. Ruth chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab he and his wife, and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, 
and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left with her two, without her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord, that Yahweh, had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Glory be to the Father and to seated. Our story this morning, we're barely going to scratch the surface of the drama. Many of you know this story. Many of you know what's to come. Some of you don't, and that's okay too. But as we scratch the surface this morning of this story, our our story begins with a, a kind of 2020 experience, right? It's not been a good year. It's not a good time. It's, it's a forgettable time, frankly. At least that's how the world puts it. We, we need a reset. Can we just start over? The story will get better than this. Like Esther that we looked at this past summer when we were outside, it has, it has all the makings, Ruth does, of a, of a Hollywood plot, tragedy, drama, loyalty, love, and redemption. And yet, as these first few verses that I just read remind us this morning, this is the story of a quite ordinary family. An ordinary family that's about to walk through some pretty extraordinary circumstances brought about by an extraordinary God in order that His purposes might be accomplished. Over the course of the next five weeks, we're going to look at some big themes in this book, but this morning I just want to zero in what I think we can learn from these first few verses. And I want you to see two overarching truths And we're going to meditate on this morning as we work our way through these first seven verses. And the first one is this. The grass is never greener outside of God's promises. The grass is never greener outside of God's promises. 
Of course, you're familiar with that phrase. The grass is always greener on the other side. When have you believed that lie? If only blank, then I'd be happy. If only blank, I wouldn't need anything else. These open, opening verses have a lesson for us, I think, about green grass. And though I use it as a, a figure of speech that is common to all of us, our story actually begins with a literal search for green grass, right? It's in the midst of a famine. Let me set the stage a bit. The story of Ruth is set in the days when the judges ruled. Now, for those of you who know the Bible, know the Scriptures, it was a dark time in Israel's history. The Israelites had been promised a, a land that they could settle down in and thrive in, and yet they hadn't fully obtained it due to their consistent and constant rebellion against the Lord. They were trapped, so to speak, in a, in a state of their own making, in this cycle of rebellion and disobedience, which brought consequences and judgment for that sin, which then prompted the mercy and the deliverance of Yahweh for His people. In the last verse of the book of Judges, another book that we went through years ago, the last book of Judges, or last verse of Judges sums up this context. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And into this context, into the days of the Judges, comes a famine. A famine. A famine from God. Hardship given where God could work. Leviticus 26, 3 and 4 says this, The Lord says to His people, If you walk in My statutes and observe My commandments and do them, then I will give you your, your rains in their season, and the land shall yield its increase, and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. But there was no rain. Because God had brought upon His people the exact covenant curses that He warned them would come if they didn't obey. Famine, enemies at the door, even slavery. Because Yahweh, the Lord, was after repentance in His people. He wanted them to turn from their wickedness, to turn back to Him, to His Word and to His ways. And so that's the context that we find this very ordinary family in. And here they come. A family from the town of, of Bethlehem. A town that literally means house of bread. But there is no bread to be found. So Elimelech and his wife Naomi and his two boys, Malon and Chilion, they left for greener pastures. Now here's what I, I need you to see. Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, did not do what his king, the Lord, had called him to do, which was live in the land of promise, 
Trust the one who created all things. The one who redeemed His people from slavery. Trust in Yahweh. Instead, Elimelech did what was right in his own eyes. And he led his family to Moab in search of greener grass. Now, of course, we as, boy, we as fathers, we, we get this. I mean, Elimelech is just trying to provide for his family. But here's the thing. He was called to live in the promised land. He was called to live in community with God's people. He was called to look upon the Lord for provision, not try to manufacture it and seek it out and make it himself. This wasn't a modern-day decision. Should I live in Seattle? Should I live in Fresno? Should I go to Philly? This was a choice between the land of compromise or the land of promise. A decision to obey God and trust Him or try to figure it out on my own. Even before the flight to Moab, there were hints already at where Elimelech's heart was in this age in Israel's history when when the names of your children are so significant, Elimelech and Naomi don't choose robust Hebrew names. What do they choose? Malon and Chilion, names that were picked up from the Canaanite culture around them. So when when disaster struck, instead of running to the certainty of God's promises, his heart was bent to go where he thought he should go. Worst of all, he runs to a place like Moab. <laughs> the Moab. The Moabites, they were descendants of Lot, and they were a pagan people that worshipped a false god. Their king had enslaved Israel for some 18 years back at the beginning of the time of Judges. This was not a safe place. This was not a good place for him to raise his family. This was not a wise move. This was not an obedient move. This was actually a move that was foolish and faithless. Yes, there was food. But the cost was compromise. For instance, when it came time for his sons to wed, did the boys remember the ways of the Lord? Did they commit to return to the land of promise, to marry within Israel, to marry those who worship the one true God? No, after a model that they had received from their father, they disregarded the word of God and they took foreign wives for themselves. Now let's pause right there. This is too often us. Not, not the foreign wives part. But when we face times of difficulty, rather than persevering, rather than trusting, we immediately search for greener grass. We abandon what we ought to be clinging to. 
Instead of persevering in conviction, we too often flee to the land of compromise. Instead of humbling ourselves, crying out to the Lord, praying and trusting, finding contentment in His, in our circumstances that He has given, instead of resting in His grace, searching the Scriptures for wisdom, we seize control for ourselves. Like Abraham, like Father Abraham, who couldn't see how God was going to fulfill this promise of being a blessing to the nations, so I better take things into my own hands. We think we need to do it ourselves. And this is how temptation works as well. And I want our young people to hear this. I want you teenagers to hear this. The lust of the eyes, the the brokenness and wickedness of the world around us, the devil who longs to get a foothold in your lives, they all conspire and tell you that whatever you are looking at, whatever you are trying, is better than what God promised you. It's better than the life that God offers you. And it's a lie. The the grass is not greener outside of God's promises. In the short term, you may get a snack, but in the long term, you will go hungry. In a twist of irony, Elimelech went to Moab to escape death, and what happened to him? It's the very thing that happened to him. He died. He died, his sons died, and, and there was Naomi left without her man, without her sons-in-law. Excuse me, her sons. Just her daughters-in-law. The grass is never greener outside of God's promises. Even in the valleys of life, His presence is real. His promises are true. His Word is a treasure of comfort and correction. This is the challenge. This has always been the challenge for God's people. Do we believe God, or do we believe that there is greener grass somewhere else? Psalm 23 is a familiar psalm to many of us. It's wonderfully familiar. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. But of course, the psalm doesn't stop there, right? There's a valley. There's a rod that mysteriously prods us at times to walk through this valley. God's promise is not always green grass. Green grass isn't always what we need. Oh, that's hard to hear. God, I thought you were good. Yes, He is good. But His goodness is a goodness that that we can't always see. Sometimes in the mystery of God, the barren wilderness is what is best. And so even in those wilderness times, we don't always have to go look for green grass. So what do we do? Well, Naomi, I think, begins to show us what to do. Verses 6 and 7, let me read them to you again. Then she arose, 
with her daughters-in-law to return, to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and had given them food. And so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And that leads us to the second truth that I want us to meditate on this morning. It is this. The visit of God calls us to return. The visit of God calls us to return. Naomi, whether by her own urging or through just mere submission to her husband, she ended up in the desolate land of Moab. This land of compromise. We don't know what her role in the whole thing was, but it was a land outside of God's promises. It was a land with no future for her. But I think we can safely say that times had changed, that things had changed for Naomi. She was brought to her knees by Yahweh, and she saw things differently. And so it begins with this phrase, she had heard. You see, she never turned her back completely on her roots, upon the Lord, upon the land of promise. Perhaps by this point she longed and, and, and waited for, she was eagerly waiting for a reason to go back to the land that God had given. Yes, she had lived in Moab for more than a decade, but it never really felt like home. And so now she had a reason. She had a reason to go back, and the reason is this. The Lord had visited. The Lord had visited and given food. Literally, the Lord had given lechem, the Hebrew word for bread. This wandering woman from the house of bread, Bethlehem, is called back to where she began. The Lord had brought the famine and the Lord had brought an end to the famine. Its purposes had been fulfilled. Though she had refused to acknowledge the former, at least we think, she now confesses the latter, that the Lord had been at work. See, God wasn't finished with his people. He had redeemed them. He had brought them to the land of promise. He had disciplined them not to crush them, but to drive them back to himself. God isn't done with Naomi yet. She bears the scars and the wounds of her years in Moab, but there is still a place for her in Israel. She needs to be in the place that God has visited. And so the prodigal daughter, we might say, she, she returns home. And this was no small matter. I mean, for us, it's just a couple verses. This is a decade of Naomi's life, and now she's returning. And the Hebrew word for return occurs 12 times in this chapter. It's a flashing light for us to see. Because the Lord had visited His people they can return to Him. As we've already mentioned and focused on, we enter a season today 
where we anticipate, where we celebrate the visitation of our God in Jesus. I want to read the prophecy of Zechariah from Luke chapter 1, where he says, upon hearing of this Messiah's birth, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. A child born in Bethlehem, born in the house of bread, has come to be food, has come to be the bread of life. And it's that visit that calls us to return. Now, maybe you're not here this morning. You're, well, I haven't fled out of the land of the Lord. I seeking to walk with him. I'm seeking to walk in that light. So maybe the return for you is not as drastic as the return was for Naomi. Maybe this means simply a turning from persistent sin that has plagued you and that you refuse to repent of. Maybe this means restoring a broken relationship that you are letting fester and increasingly getting bitter about. Maybe it means letting go of that bitterness and and welcoming forgiveness. Maybe this means simply recommitting yourself to His Word. Maybe this means starting to live with conviction rather than being defined by compromise. What the return looks like for you, I don't know. We're in this natural season where the end of year lists come, the end of year reflection comes, the the new year anticipation begins, and we start to assess. How's 2021 going to be different? How is 2021 going to be different for you in light of the visitation of God? In light of the ways that you may need to return to Him? Remember, there is really nothing special about Naomi and her family. In many ways, they're just like us. They're struggling to make wise decisions that we are called to make. But it's through the decisions that they make and even the bad ones that they make that the Lord will bring about the promised one, Emmanuel, God with us. Brothers and sisters, let God's word remind you this morning of these two things. The grass is never greener outside of God's promises. And he calls you, he invites you like the prodigal father with arms open wide, return to me. I'm ready to receive you. Come back to the promises. Walk in the light. 
because of Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this wonderful story for these servants, imperfect like us, and yet through them, through their ordinary lives, you, you have weaved a story for the ages. For you have visited your people in the person of Jesus. And Jesus, we confess and acknowledge that you are here in this place by your Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we confess that we need to return to you. That we need the light of your presence, the light of your word to shine into all those dark places in our lives, uncovering them, bringing them into the light. Receiving the full forgiveness that is ours. And walking in the joy of the path that you put before us. So, Father, give us the grace, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.